You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Uh, Psalm 119 is, uh, for lack of a better word, it is an epic psalm. Uh, There are uh, other psalms in the Psalter where each line starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Psalm 119 sets itself off in that each section starts off with a different, starts off with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so the first eight verses all start with the Hebrew uh, word, uh, the Hebrew letter Aleph. And the second section, which we'll be looking at, starts with the Hebrew letter Bet. So it, it really, throughout this psalm, it is uh, something that has been highly uh, thought through and composed. There's a, a huge amount of artistic endeavor uh, that goes into crafting uh, this psalm. And so the, the, the person who wrote it, whoever uh, he was, thought deeply about this subject, but also uh, wanted it to be uh, poetically appealing And ultimately, probably, uh, with it being in this acrostic format, was so that it would be memorizable. Now, it's a little more difficult uh, in English to not have uh, the ways in which it would be structured. But nonetheless, it was probably as well, uh, not just for worship, but also instrumental and instructive uh, for teaching, as we'll see here. And so we come to uh, the second section, verse 9 through 16. And so uh, hear these words. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So the second section, it's picking up uh, where the uh, last section left off. Uh, Psalm 119, it begins the way that Psalm 1 does. Blessed are those. Uh, You remember we read for our order, uh, for our call to worship, blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord. There's a great blessing coming from God's word. Here, uh, Psalm 119 begins Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. So really pulling back, reminding us of where the Psalter began. Now 119 Psalms later, picking up this theme again of this great joy, this great blessing. But I think it it is interesting when you think of how long Psalm 119 is. That its primary concern is rejoicing, not just in God, though it is doing that, but rejoicing in the law of God. And again, I think when you think about that, it causes us to maybe question, to stop just a moment. Do I rejoice in the law? What does it mean to rejoice in the law, in the law of the Lord? Because probably many of us, we do not rejoice over government laws, especially ones that may be more of a nuisance to us. We don't often rejoice in that. And I'm not saying this psalm calls us to rejoice in all government laws. Uh, But typically, laws like taxes are things we don't tend to rejoice over. And so yet, this psalm is telling us that there's a blessing to those who walk in the law of the Lord. 
And I think it's helpful here to, to, to be reminded that law here is not just the Ten Commandments. It's not just the rules that God gives, though those are important. But the law really is his entire plan of redemption. And again, if you just remember the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are not just given in isolation as if God just sends an email out to his people for them to just read these Ten Commandments, but rather he redeems and rescues his people from slavery and from evil and tyranny. And then this new relationship that he will be their God, they will be his people, he then gives them these laws to really constitute a new people. And so here, Psalm 119 is, is rejoicing in this fact that this law is given, but it's given in the confines of a relationship that now exists, that there is a God and his people, and the psalmist knows that these laws, that this redemption uh, is what allows him to be with God. And so he is rejoicing, he, he's rejoicing at the way in which God speaks to his people. You think about what the scriptures are and the way in which they differ from every other book that exists. Every other book is, is man-made. And yet the holy scriptures are given by God that we might know him and know what he requires of us. And so really the, the question as we come to uh, the second section in Psalm 119 is, is how do we reach the heart? How do we reach the, the core of our being? Or really, as we start a new year, how do we really change? How do we really change? How do we really make progress in the school of holiness? How do we make progress in our life as Christians? And so you'll note the way in which it begins this section. How can a young man keep his way pure? It almost seems like this could have been the question that all of Psalm 119 could have started with. But I think the way in which it is actually said, it starts out with how this happiness, this blessing. And then here in the second section, it asks, how can a young man keep his way pure? Uh, for any of us who have lived through our you know, younger times, uh, many of us can probably remember times in which we as, as young people, young men and young women, probably acted very foolishly. I'm sure there are some folks who could raise their hands and say amen that they acted in their youth in ways that were probably not good. At least I can testify to this. And in some sense, I think those here who are younger, uh, there's this great blessing, this great way in which this psalm asks, how do you live a life not in rebellion to God, but in fellowship with him? I mean, I think this is the, the perennial question and one I, I look at and I know that the Lord has been kind to me over my life, but in many ways I do wish I could go back and really dwell upon that question when I was 12, when I was 14, when I was 15, 16, 17, that that would have been the driving cause in my life is how do I pursue this relationship with the Lord? And so it asks this question, and certainly this question is not just for those who are young. We, we may have progressed in maturity, maybe. We may have progressed in holiness, maybe. But still this question of how do we keep our ways pure? How do we walk in fellowship with the Lord? How do we seek and get and gain this great blessing is still a question to be asked. There's a, a Dutch theologian um, who's passed away many, many years ago, but he has these great photo of him with a stern look and a giant beard 
on him, Herman, Herman Bovink, which sounds like a great name, but he said this. He said, our love is shown by keeping God's commandments. Scripture, in fact, emphasizes this quite strongly so that we will mature and increase in love and every virtue. He says this, this is what mainly constitutes spiritual growth. Such a fantastic quote actually comes from his book on ethics. But that our love is shown by keeping God's commandments. Scripture, in fact, emphasizes this quite strongly so that we will mature and increase in love and every virtue. And this is primarily what spiritual growth is. So how do we keep our way pure? Our way blameless, the the word pure here comes from the sacrificial system. When you would come to God to offer a sacrifice to atone for your sin, the Old Testament gives all these rules and regulations on how you're supposed to do this because you're not supposed to come with something that is blemished. You're not supposed to come with that uh, crippled animal that you would rather be rid of from your flock, but instead were to come and to give something that was pure and, and symbolized holiness. And so here, how do we keep our ways, our life, pure, holy, blameless, spotless, clean, holy? I mean, ultimately, this question could just be boiled down to, do you have a clear conscience before God? I mean, could you stand in his presence today with a clear conscience? Not, not a conscience free of, of sin, Certainly, we we all have sin, but could you stand in his presence with a clear conscience? And if you're like me, and that question may terrify you more, then we should read on, right? That is what the rest of this section of this psalm speaks to. So we have this question that's asked at the beginning of verse 9, but then uh, the psalmist then starts going through, thankfully, an answer. But there's, there's given an answer. How do we keep our way pure, our way holy? Before the Lord, well, he he answers this in the second half of verse 9 all the way to verse 11. He says, by guarding it, that is, guarding our way according to your word, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So he he begins, how do we do this? By, By guarding by protecting. Uh, This is the same word used earlier in Psalm 119 in the first eight verses for keeping. I mean, you can think of the idea of a watchman set upon a tower looking out to make sure enemies are not coming in to advance. There's this idea of watching, of looking at something that is precious and taking good care of it, taking precautions for it. And so he's living a life in which he is, in a sense, he actually knows that there is sin out there and sin in here. There is evil out there. There is evil in here. And the psalmist seems to be starting by saying, by taking appropriate precautions. I mean, think of the Lord's Prayer that we just said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But then in in the beginning of verse 10, he says, his whole heart, his whole heart, he seeks after God. It almost seems redundant here because the the idea of the heart as as it is anyway in Hebrew is the the central part of the whole person. But here he adds, my whole heart, my entirety, all of my being is focused on this one single ultimate goal, which is seeking after the Lord. 
But then he, he prays, not only is he uh, uh, getting and focusing all his endeavor on seeking after the Lord, the second half of verse 10 is his prayer that the Lord would not abandon him. There's this wonderful way in which the human and the divine are working together. It's not as if we just sit and do nothing and pray that the Lord would just help us in our life. Here, the psalmist is guarding and he's seeking and he's working. All the while also praying, let me not wander from your commandments. It's, it's a prayer that he's asking the Lord to protect him. He is working and seeking and doing and being diligent in his faith, but also praying that the Lord would protect him. And look at the way in which that is working in his life. I have stored up your word in my heart. So in the past, he has, he has read what God has to say. He has then uh, meditated upon it so that he can memorize it and understand it. And then in times of difficulty or sin or temptation, those words come to mind. That the Holy Spirit's working in him. That he is storing up all of this so that when these temptations strike him, and they will, he has the, if you will, the ammunition ready to defend himself against it. So in the past, he's storing up the word of God, the very life-giving words of God. And he says here, so that I might not sin against you. Right? He, he, he has found this relationship with God. And he is dedicating his life to not dismantle it, to not dismantle this relationship, to not break this relationship with God. And you think about that's what, what sin is in our life. It is dishonoring God. It is breaking and fracturing that relationship. It is bringing shame upon ourselves and upon our, our call as Christians. And so already this is, psalm, I think, is, is helping us to see the ways in which we pursue how to live life of purity, of holiness. Right? There's, a, there's a sense where we have to work at it. Verse 10 teaches us that, but also there's a way in which God works at it. The Bible is full of these wonderful promises that God is at work in you. God is at work in me. Probably one of the most comforting passages to me is in the book of Ephesians that basically says what God starts in your life, he will see through to the end. To me, that's incredibly encouraging to know that the Lord has not abandoned us or left us to just fend for ourselves as Christians. But as Jesus says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. But then the psalmist also is, he's holding on to God's word. Not just holding on to God, but holding on to God's word. He understands the importance, the value of the Holy Scriptures. He's meditating on it. He's digesting it. He's not just using it as, a, as something idle to check off of a list that, oh, I've done my Bible reading today. Not that there's anything wrong about just building that as a habit, but he's actually meditating on it. He's digesting it. He's trying to understand it. He's, he's if you he were pulling it apart, trying to get every last morsel out of it in order that he might not sin. Really what he's doing, he's preparing his heart and his mind, his body and his soul for eternity. Well, then in verse 12, this continues. There's this prayer, if you will. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Blessed are you, Yahweh, Lord. 
right here in, in the heart of this section. Again, a reminder that he speaks to not to God, but to Yahweh. He speaks to the Lord who has established these promises and, and brought this psalmist and his people into this relationship. And it seems like this joyful conclusion as he's saying, teach me, help me, be with me. And then blessed are you, O Lord, and teach me your statutes. Right? He's saying here, just as what he was reiterating in verses 1 through 2, that, that blessings, that God's law brings blessing upon us. And that God is, is blessed. It's, again, an interesting question. What does it mean here to say that God is blessed? God is blessed. I mean, in one sense, God is blessed and that he is perfection in and of himself. That he's perfect and holy. Right? He would be the very definition of blessing. And from him, all of these blessings and overflow to his people. But I wonder if when we combine it with the second request... This, this request that you would teach me your statutes. I wonder if what is being spoken of here is that when the psalmist, when the Lord's people are obedient to what God commands, that then God is honored and he is blessed. He, he is spoken well of, if you will, uh, throughout the world. I mean, really, we just have to think of any of these instances where uh, ministers or, or church leaders have fallen into some gross kind of sin and, and what the and way in which that brings dishonor to the name of Christ in this world, whether it's through sex abuse scandals or, or what have you. Think about the ways in which these instances bring out and bring dishonor to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here, I think he's, the psalmist is saying that, that through walking in obedience, it brings honor and glory to God. And so that's what he asks. He says, Lord, would you teach me your statutes? Verse 5, there was a prayer that, that he would be made firm, steadfast, that really he would be immovable, and that the Lord would teach his, him his statutes. Teach me. Again, his prayer actually is, is not just about knowing more. Like he, he's not just praying, Lord, would you just show me all of your laws? Like that's not actually what he's praying, right? He's praying that he would not only know them, but then he would do them. That, that's his prayer. His prayer is that he would understand the law in order that it would change him and change the way he acts and behaves and lives his life. In this wonderful short little prayer, you can almost say there's actually nothing extraordinary happening here. This is just kind of ordinary Christianity, beans on toast Christianity, if it will. It's just prayer. It's just study. It's just memorizing. It's just listening, catechizing, applying the sermon to our lives. It's really nothing special that the psalmist is talking about. But on the other hand, I think there is something extraordinary happening here because this is not something that we can do on our own, but it is through the giving of the Holy Spirit, this new covenant inaugurated by Christ's death, that the law is finally written upon our hearts, that we are changed from the inside out. Because remember the book of Acts, the early church is spoken of as those who turned the world upside down. And it was because that they were infused, if you will, by the Holy Spirit, changing their hearts, causing them to act and behave and believe and profess. 
And again, I think this is what fuels evangelism. This is what fuels maturity. And you think of, for 2022, what would be a good resolution, a good goal uh, for 2022 would be to be living in obedience. And then look at verses 13 through 16. There's this joyfulness. This is not a drudgery to him. He's seen the, the value of the law. He has seen the value of this relationship with the Lord. And so he then follows with this joyful obedience. You can see the, the way this happens through the, the verbs that he uses. With my lips, I declare. He's delighting in verse 14. Verse 15, he's meditating upon the law. Verse 13, he, he speaks. He's proclaiming, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Jesus said this in Matthew 15, 18. He said, out of the heart the mouth speaks. If it's evil, evil comes out. If it's good, praises flow forth. It's a bit of a paraphrase, but he's getting at the way in which our, our heart is dictates the words that flow out from it. And this, the, the psalmist is so saturated with the word of God that from his lips, God's testimonies flow forth. I mean, just as an aside, I think this is probably one of the most effective forms of evangelism. Just the simple loving and praising of God. I mean, even in the, the midst of difficult times. Because Psalm 119 is not just an academic psalm of some guy sitting alone and pondering about God's law, but as you read through it, he's experiencing difficult times. He's ex experiencing persecution. He's experiencing evil in this world, and yet his response to all of that is to compose this gigantic psalm on the value of God's word and God's goodness in the midst of all of this. Well, then he says, I declare all the rules of your mouth. And again, I think that's an interesting word choice for him to use here. It brings to mind in 2 Timothy 3.16 where Paul speaks of Scripture as all the words that were breathed out by God. Meaning that what we have here in the pages of Scripture is not just words about God, but words from God. But I think it also reminds us that when God speaks, he never says idle words. Like you and I may say words that we don't know why we say them. They are, can be thrown away. They don't matter. They don't accomplish anything. But rather, when God speaks, it accomplishes. I mean, think about Genesis chapter 1. God speaks and the universe comes into being. And the psalmist, I think, here is just simply recognizing that everything God says is to be treasured. In verse 14, he delights. In your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. He knows the value, that the value of God's word is worth more than all the silver and gold. Because what he knows is that this word speaks about things eternal. 
Again, think of what Jesus said. He said, rather than storing up for yourselves treasures here on earth, store them up in heaven. Store them up in a sense to something that is eternal. If you're going to invest in anything, invest in something that transcends this life. And so he meditates on the law. And this is one of those words that maybe nowadays we would translate it as something else because meditation can have this idea of like emptying your mind. But rather, what he means when he's speaking of meditation is saying it over and over and over and over again. Some people like to translate it as almost as if he's murmuring. He's just saying these words over and over and over again. It's probably better to think of this as memorization. And that he then fixes his eyes on your ways. I don't know if you've ever seen horses when they have the blinders on. That's to prevent the horse from wandering off. But in order to keep the horse on the right track, and here he says, these laws, they act like that. I always think of bowling when you're with little children. You have those bumpers that you pull up so the children at least can't get a gutter ball. Right? The law of the Lord helps us in our, our path and guides us. And again, you think of starting a new year. Here the, the psalmist is crying out that we would fix our eyes upon Jesus. And so that brings him to his conclusion. I delight in your statutes, and I will not forget your word. We started with the importance of God's word at the second part of verse 9. And now we end here with its emphasizing its importance. And it just concludes where the psalmist is simply delighting. I mean, clearly he's delighting in this if he's taking the time to compose this uh, incredibly long psalm. He says, I will not forget your word. James, the the half-brother of Jesus, he puts it this way. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Right, there's a way in which the psalmist is praying that the word would take root in his life and change the way he believes and the way he acts. He is praying that the Lord would guard us. Right, he's praying that the Lord would guard him from a superficial hearing, a superficial reading of the Bible. What he's wanting is a change in his very being. So if you think of Psalm 119, I think before I've studied it, I would have just been, it is a psalm purely about the law of God. Is it practical in any way? But actually, I would say this psalm is incredibly practical as we begin looking at a new year. As a desire that that we would be those who desire God's word, who do not forget God's word, who treasure God's word, and then who sees that word change us to be more like Jesus Christ. And so I think also this psalm is very centered upon Christ, for it is Jesus who comes, who is the one who does wholeheartedly seek after the Lord. It is the Lord Jesus who, through his death and resurrection, inaugurates a new covenant to write this law upon our hearts. It is Jesus who sends the Holy Spirit that now we can cry, Abba, Father, that we can come to God as Father. And now Jesus sends the Holy Spirit that the one who inspired Scripture now dwells with us to help us and illumine the Scriptures for us. 
right, as we close and think about this psalm. Again, I'm not one who's big on New Year's resolutions, but right, our resolution should be this progress in holiness. I mean, Psalm 119 here, it gives us actually just a very simple plan and how to achieve this. And so we trust in what the Lord is doing. We pray that the Lord would help us. But we know that through the Lord Jesus Christ, that what God has started in each and every one of our lives, he will bring to the end. He will be with us. And so store up God's word in your heart, reading it, memorizing it, listening to it, partaking of the visible signs and seals of the sacraments. Take and eat, drink deeply of this word. It is life-giving. Let us pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot U-K for more. Thank you.